Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for joining me. I remember back in the early days of my adult Christian life when I was still at uh, university, I remember, you know, discovering how extraordinary fruit, how extraordinarily fruitful uh, Christianity had been. I knew the Catholic Church was, of course, a major part of that, but I wasn't Catholic at the time. But I, I just saw its contributions uh, throughout history. Uh, they weren't stressed when I was in college, and so I thought, well, that's something I can do. You know, I can really blow the trumpet for what Christ has achieved through his uh, church, and that would, in fact, even non-believers would be interested uh, just from a purely historical point of view. So I, I expected that you know it was only a matter of time before these kind of truths, historical truths that I was discovering, and which are out there. They're not academics know about them, but they haven't made it into popular conversation. I thought more and more people would get get it. That hasn't happened. More and more, in fact, I'm finding that even people with access to Google and all kinds of uh, databases, they still don't understand. They can go through graduate school and still have no grasp of the Catholic Church's outstanding contributions to human flourishing. Uh, you know, historian Dr. Thomas Woods tells a story. He begins his course on Western civilization by asking his college students to pick just one word to describe the Catholic Church. And the responses are invariably negative. The Catholic Church is, well, fill in the blank, oppressive. The Catholic Church is, fill in the blank, superstitious, or ignorant, or repressive, or stagnant, or anti-gay, or corrupt, or anti-woman. No one ever says the Catholic Church is creative, or the Catholic Church is civilization. The negativity is shocking when we realize that the Catholic Church has given us so much. You can think, for instance, of intellectual giants like Augustine Augustine. He's not only a, a Catholic bishop and a Catholic saint, he's actually the most prolific writer and impressive stylist of late antiquity, Catholic or not. Or Thomas Aquinas, whose uh, intellectual synthesis of faith and reason is one of the great accomplishments uh, on a grand scale with Darwin's evolutionary synthesis or Einstein's general relativity. Or, of course, the spiritual giants like St. Francis of Assisi or Joan of Arc or Thomas More in our own generation, St. John Paul II or St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And you've got giant cultural entities like the idea of the university, Oxford, uh, Cambridge, uh, Paris, which wouldn't exist without the encouragement, shepherding, nurturing of the Catholic Church. The scientific enterprise— it, again, owes its origins to the medieval worldview. Uh, I remember, now he, he's long, largely forgotten by people now, but Alfred North Whitehead uh, in the middle of the 20th century was considered one of the great minds of our age. And he emphasized that it was the medieval uh, Catholic Church's insistence on the rationality of God that was a necessary presupposition for the rise of the scientific enterprise. So what happened is people had the idea that God was rational, that, you know, he was intelligent, that he was a creator. And in fact, he created human beings in his image and likeness. Therefore, these human beings had intelligence and creativity. 
And he gave these human beings uh, the command to have dominion on the earth. That meant cultivating the earth. It meant development. And there was the intellectual confidence that we could use the mind that God gave us to investigate the world that God gave us, and there'd be meaningful correspondences. Uh, This was a major difference in the West compared to the East. Uh, So you have the rise of the scientific movement within late medieval uh, Catholicism. Um, You know, there's an article uh, in October of just two years ago, uh, October 26th, NASA's Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or SOFIA, announced that they discovered water on the moon in and around the southern hemisphere's sunlit Clavius Crater. You can see the Clavius Crater, I guess. Uh, It's visible from the Earth because it's huge. And the crater was named after Christopher Clavius, a German Jesuit, an astronomer, mathematician, born in 1537, 20 years after Luther's famous posting of the 95 Theses. And Clavius was so accomplished that he was actually, in, in mathematics, that he was called the Euclid of the 16th century. This wasn't in any way unusual. It was a Jesuit priest and astronomer, Giovanni Riccioli, who in 1651 supplied many place names on the moon, including the Sea of Tranquility, where the first men set foot on the lunar surface in July of 1969. You know, there are 35 craters on the moon moon named after Jesuits. They were discovered by Jesuits. (laughs) J.L. Heilbronn at the University of California, Berkeley, has pointed out What historians of science know, but directors of Hollywood films don't know, and that is that, quote, the Roman Catholic Church gave more financial aid and social support to the study of astronomy for over six centuries, from the late Middle Ages into the Enlightenment, than any other and probably all other institutions. The Church was a strong supporter of scientific research and has one of the oldest working astronomical observatories in the world. It has one of the largest meteorite collections. Four asteroids bear the name of four Jesuits, Ignatius Loyola, Francis Xavier, and two Jesuits who are working at the observatory now. Most people have no idea. Um, Father George Lamatre, for instance, a primary figure in developing what is commonly called Big Bang cosmology. And Catholics, old and new, have made and continue to make contributions to the scientific knowledge of the world. Uh, Father George Saltzman uh, is now a graduate chaplain at Harvard, at least last time I checked. But before he moved there, he was a fellow in molecular biology at Princeton University, where he worked on the tumor suppressor gene. Uh, and, and at Harvard University, uh, we have another serious layman, Catholic layman uh, researcher, Martin Nowak, who published a book a few years ago called Super Cooperators, The Mathematics of Evolution, Altruism, and Human Behavior, or Why We Need Each Other to Succeed. It, it's not just um, astronomy uh, or, in this, in this, those two cases, biology. The field of geology, rocks, owes a debt to Blessed Nicholas Steno. Uh, this was, a, again, a 17th century uh, we would call him today uh, a geologist, but at that time, he was actually making fundamental contributions to anatomy, to paleontology, to crystallography, as well as geology. Uh, Steno was the first to develop what we call stratigraphy, that is, the, the, 
the measure, the way we measure scientific uh, geological strata, so we can you know compose the history of the geological record. Uh, we owe that to again Blessed Nicholas Steno. Uh, heredity, the the most fundamental principles of heredity were discovered by an Austrian monk Gregor Mendel in the nineteenth century. Um, uh, cultural anthropology, take that uh, in twenty. Uh, Fifteen, I came across a new book titled Masters and Students, Jesuit Mission Ethnography in 17th Century New France. No, I, I didn't read it. <laughs> I just came across it. But it, it spends its time examining the early Jesuit missionaries and the principles they used to understand the culture of the people they were trying to reach with the gospel. Many of those principles became standard for what we would today call the field of cultural anthropology. So Catholic Christianity, and I'm, by the way, I've just been focusing on Catholic Christianity. Uh, in, the, in the Protestant realm, there's plenty of contributions as well. But uh, obviously the Catholic Church uh, t- goes back to the beginning. So Catholic Christianity has proved incredibly fruitful and creative in generating cultures of human flourishing. Um, Oh, yes. I mean, like all human institutions, we've had dark moments, some very dark moments. But nothing, absolutely nothing, to warrant the grim image of repression, oppression, corruption, stagnation, you know? You know, sometimes I get a kick out of the hashtag MeToo movement uh, because, really, what people are protesting they're protesting against the very behaviors that were regularly condemned by the Catholic Church from its earliest days. You know, the, the late sociologist Rodney Stark just passed away this last month. In his book, Rise of Christianity, points out that one reason women were attracted to the new Christian movement was because men were expected to treat them like sisters and not instruments of pleasure. That had an actual effect on the appeal of the Jesus movement in the earliest days. Uh, so the hashtag MeToo movement is, is in some ways uh, the princip- Catholic principles secularized. Uh, we talk so much in our day of natural rights, and, and properly so. Luke Ferry, an atheist philosopher, published a little history of philosophy, uh, points out the importance of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word became flesh, in verse 14, and dwelt among us. Um, he, points, he points out that that realization came to bear tremendous fruit in the intellectual history of the Western world. He traces the rise of interest in what we call human rights and natural rights to that very idea that the universe had, was, a, was logocentric, that there was a rationality and, in fact, a personal rationality underneath and behind and above this uh, creation. And this eventually leads to the idea that humans uh, have rights. Uh, They have a relationship with God that must be respected. Brian Tierney, who was one of last century's greatest medieval historians, wrote that the doctrine of individual rights was a characteristic product of the great age of creative jurisprudence that in the 12th and 13th centuries established the foundations of Western legal tradition. So it's no wonder that St. John Paul II was commonly called the world's leading defender 
of religious liberty. You know, you could take a look and just look around in the field of medicine. I could spend the rest of the day counting off hospitals with names like, uh, you know, uh, St. Joseph, St. Mary, St. Jude, or cities like St. Louis or San Jose or Los Angeles. The Incarnation changed human experience. There's no doubt intellectual historians, social historians see this. The care for the sick and the poor changes dramatically after the birth of the Jesus movement, the formation of the church, and the development of Christian culture. We have a lot to be grateful for. Tell the world.